What's going on, everybody? This is Jerome Moore, host and creator of Deep Dish Conversations. And firstly, I want to say thank you for all of support and thank you for exploring the perspectives of social change with me on this platform. I want to encourage you all to like, subscribe, and follow us on YouTube and on your favorite podcast listening platform. And make sure you give us a five-star rating if you're loving the Deep Dish Conversations. I appreciate all of the support again. I hope you all enjoy this episode. What's going on, man? Hey, what's good with you? I'm good, fam. How you doing? <laughs> hey, I'm chilling, chilling. Winding down for the year, you know. Um, it's been a wild year, but uh, hey, I'm here. I'm glad to make it here. Yeah. Um, I'm glad to be here, too. But now it's good. This is the first time for us, like, meeting in person. Yup. Yup. It's good to see you, man. It's been Zoom and everything. Yeah, you know? yeah. It's yeah. good to see you, man. It's good <laughs> to see you. And I'm excited about our conversation. Yeah. And learning more about you, mm-hmm. how you've navigated this, all the social, the critical social issues that we face as black men. This is people in in community, yeah. and just being in the United States, but also talking to just like like being a person like myself, um, believe in Second Amendment right yep. to bear arms for sure. But also like, what does that mean for Black folks? Absolutely. Um, what does that mean for community with some of the laws that have changed here in Tennessee recently? Mm-hmm. Um, and how do we navigate that and, and, and stay dangerous, but also stay safe at the same time? Absolutely. And so, man, uh, can you just introduce yourself? Tell us a little bit about who you are, your background, and then we get straight into it. For sure. So uh, my name is Denzel Caldwell, uh, born and raised in Nashville, uh, live out in north northeast area, like in the Madison area. But um yeah, like born and raised, uh, went to <laughs> went to NBA for high school. Oh, so you know, man. yeah, I know, nah, I know. Nah. Yeah, my dad was like, "Nah, you finna make sure you 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 know get in a good school, whatnot, you know." And so like being realistic. Yeah, so he, he put me through there, and that actually accelerated my understanding. But um, from there, went to Morehouse, you know, for undergrad. Uh, left and uh, studied economics. You know, uh, minored in African American studies and stuff like that. Um, and then from there, uh, you know, grad school kept going with the with the econ background. Uh, originally, got, I was going for my PhD at the University of Oklahoma, but I ended up mastering out and coming back in uh, twenty eighteen. Wow. Um, outside of that, um, one of my biggest passions is martial arts. Um, I've been doing martial arts since since not age nine, but like consistently since age fourteen. Um, started here in Nashville. You know, uh, it's a style of Kung Fu called Black Lotus Kung Fu. Um, and, and we also did Wing Chun as well. Uh, still teach it to this day. Um, but I also did other systems. Capoeira. Uh, did, I do 52 blocks. Wow. Um, a, a lot of other systems and stuff like that. But um, yeah, man, like a uh, longtime martial artist, which eventually led me into some of the stuff I'm involved in now. Um, I'm also the sergeant of arms for the Middle Tennessee Black Gun Club. Um, we have been going strong for almost a year. Um, and so I, I got into firearms and stuff back in 2018 because it was just an extension of my training. I was like, it's right. 21st century. Right. You know what I mean? So we got to get into that. And so, you know, uh, given that, on top of some of the organizing work that I do, like I'm also with the Black Nashville Assembly, also with uh, National Economic Justice Alliance, trying to make sure we get a guaranteed income in the city and in the state. Right. Uh, you know, find myself in a lot of those intersections. Um, but given given those intersections, um, that's what led me to like doing the stuff with the Middle Tennessee Black Gun Club right. um, and things of that sort. So, right. Yeah. Nah, man, that's a lot, man. I'm really <laughs> excited to get into all of those things. Yeah. And so I'm going to go ahead and get straight to the meat, man. Get straight to it. What has happened in your life, like mm-hmm. it occurred, to make you want to 
want to get into organizing, mm-hmm. like self defense in general. What what happened, man? Or yeah. like what what like what inspired you to go through that journey? Because like we have something in common. We both study econ. Yeah. And I also got like a master's in business econ as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, you was going a step further than me. I wouldn't. <laughs> PhD was not going to happen for me. Um, <laughs> but yeah. you know, um, so I know. I, so I got a pretty idea how your mind thinks. You're an analytical thinker, right? Mm-hmm. That's probably why you're in martial arts, right? Mm-hmm. You can probably see moves before they happen, or like it's chess, right? Right. And so. Like, I'm just curious, like, what occurred from being like, okay, I'm studying econ and doing all those things and, like, kind of, like, business to, like, mm, nah, I want to get on some, like, grassroots community. Yeah. Like, I, like, like, I, 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 like I see the realities of, like, of my life and especially my life in the skin color that I am yeah. um, in the United States. Yeah. So, I mean, um, they all kind of, they may seem kind of like separate, but they all right. kind of uh, come together. So, I mean, just on some, on some real shit, like the martial art thing really came from watching Power Rangers and <laughs> shit. Like, you know, growing up, I used to watch Power Rangers, <laughs> Dragon Ball Z, all that. And so, hey. like, that was my thing. And then eventually that translated into, you know, watching Jet Li and a lot of the dope uh, right. folks. But the one thing that really made me jump into it was uh, The Last Dragon. That movie changed my life, bro. When he hit that glow and started doing that, I was like, okay, <laughs> now I need to jump into Hey, Mama, Daddy, let me go ahead and get in the class. Right. You feel me? Right. And so started jumping into that. Um, I mean, and I think, you know, now that I think about it, as far as, like, it, with the self-defense tip, too, is, uh, and also kind of related to the firearm thing, I actually do remember a time we, uh, we got held at gunpoint at our house. Um, in our, in our garage, it was a long time ago. Like it was like we come home. It was me, my dad, my sister, family friend. And I was in the back. You know, my dad got out the car, was about to let the garage down. Somebody ran down on us. They had wow. the stuff. Um, was pointed at, pointed the gun at my dad. Um, you know, it was point, it was threatening, pointed at my sister and stuff like that. We were all in the car. Um, you know, if he didn't give his wallet, so he got the wallet and dipped. But like that was like crit. That was huge for me. Um. And so I think that played a role into like being hyper aware around safety. Right. Um, How old were you? And I was like, shh, at most ten. Ooh. You know what I mean? Yeah, that's 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 like that's that's traumatic. Yeah, it's very very traumatic, very traumatic. Um, and I, you know, it's something I actually don't even think about as much. But right. now that I'm sitting thinking through this question, like right. that definitely played a role too. Right. Um. But I mean, like, as far as like that, and that, and that kind of played a role in informing some of the other stuff I'm about to get into. So as far as econ, um, I can actually attribute that to Dr. King. Okay. And what, this is what I mean. So like first semester, you know, or actually second semester, Morehouse freshman year, I thought I was gonna go into accounting or something. I was like, I'm trying to get money. Let me right. do this. That didn't work. I was like, I ain't feeling this. I'm cool on like doing everybody else like books and stuff like that. No disrespect to accountants, but right. um, so I sat in like in a library. We got an AUC library where uh, uh, Morehouse, Spellman, Clark. We share a school or a library, and so in there they got two different type of archives. They got the Tupac archive. They got a lot of Tupac stuff, right. and they got a King archive where they got a lot of stuff in there that you know either belong to King or is related to King. A lot of which the public don't really know about. Right. So when I was sitting in there, just kind of like thinking, like, yo, what do I want to do? Right. Stuff like that. I started reading his stuff because I've always been in the Black history for a long time. Right. Um, and when I started reading his unwritten or unpublished works, 
a lot of what he was talking about, like, was super relevant today. So he was talking about, like, overworked teachers and how they have to put on multiple hats right. in order to do their job. He was talking about, like, um, poverty. And this is, like, the post-Vietnam king. So we talking about the one who was critical of capitalism, right. everything like that. And so I started reading that, and I was like, well, you know, I want to be... I want to be that person that takes the different route and studies economics to figure out how we can create alternatives to what we live in there now. Right. Right. And so from there, like, that's when I decided, hey, I'm going to do econ, minor in Africana studies and make those two merge. Right. Um, so when you take those two things that are part of my life, the whole martial arts thing, econ thing, kept kept on with both of those, um, went into grad school. I originally was going to get my PhD, but then I realized, like, nah, I really want to be on the ground. Right. Like, it's like, don't get me wrong, like, theorizing is, is, is needed and it's cool, but I really want to be the person that's, like, practicing. Right. Like, and, and coming up with new ideas and implementing them on the ground with community. Right. And so from there, you know, mastered out of that, came back home, and really just started applying that to, to organizing and stuff. Um, I, uh, you, you know, I was, uh, uh, started off organized with BLM Nashville. Okay. Um, and then, uh, you know, started being introduced to different, uh, orgs, so National Economic Justice Alliance, uh, and then eventually helping to, uh, co-create the Black Nashville Assembly. Right. Um, and so then it became this thing where I was really focused on, like, uh, what we would like to call solidarity economies, which is, like, more based on cooperation right. in communities and, like, instead of in extraction and stuff. Right, right. So that's, like, a little bit of how I got into all those different things nah. and how they mess together. Yeah, no, no, no. Like, I learned some new stuff. And <laughs> But in, in a quick story, too, about mm -hmm. myself, um, when you were sharing just, like, getting held up at gunpoint, that happened to me, too. Yeah. yeah I, was, um, I was 15, 16 years old. Woodcuts parking lot, mm. right there by Fizz, gunpoint. They no mask, no nothing. Yeah, they was like, give me everything. They took my brush. That's when I had waves and stuff. But they took, Damn. they got everything in my pocket. And it was, I was with some other family members and some and some women as well. And so, so that that set with me like, ah, I, I don't think I'm gonna let this happen again right. to me, right? Because ain't nothing you can do. We didn't even bother to call the police or nothing. Because what are we gonna do? What are we gonna say? Like they look like us. You know, <laughs> right? Like right. essentially, like they look, they look like us, and so, yeah. so man, so I, I, I'm with you on that, and just mm -hmm. how like that can change your whole perspective. Like, oh, I need to, I need to figure out how to defend myself mm -hmm. and not be put in this situation again. And um, yeah, and so yeah, stay strapped, absolutely, <laughs> stay dangerous, absolutely. Stay and dangerous. for me, you know, when it comes to that too, it, 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 it kind of added a different dimension, like with my martial arts study, right? Because right. uh, for me, like. I could probably say that was one of them things I think about that really helped me shift from, okay, I want to do this for fun to like, now nah, I'm trying to be a martial artist for real, for real. You right. know what I mean? Right. And so like, I think that and like just my developing understanding of like fighting and what that means in the 21st century right. is what eventually led me to firearms. Cause like in martial arts, like in most traditional styles, they say that the weapon is an extension of your body. Right. And so I was like, okay. We in the 21st century, people ain't carrying swords, they carrying like straps, you know right, what I mean? Right. So how do I, especially as an instructor, train my students to right. be prepared for that type of thing? Right. And so like I was like, well, I'm gonna have to learn it and get well enough at it to where like I can teach it. Right. So for me, I'm one of those people, and shout out to Professor Ilya Davis. Um, like this really stuck with me. He he's one of those people that really uh put in a lot of his students' minds, like 
to learn something well enough to teach it. Right. So for me, once I start something, I want to learn it that with that well. Right. And so like when I started doing the firearms thing, first it was a couple of friends that really was trying to help me out and show right. me, okay, this is how you shoot and stuff. Then I was like, okay, let me go ahead and be like right. fully legit with it. Right. And so like got my got my permit. You know, started taking classes. Shout out to JC Shegal. That was my that's my uh, instructor. Um, you know, and then from there. Got certified by uh, the president of the gun club. Shout out to Tanea. Shout out um, to Tanea. You on yeah. here next. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Got to shout out my folks out. And so she certified me under um, uh, USCCA or the United States Concealed Carry Association. Um, and then from there, we both got certified under under the NRA under one of our other instructors. Shout out to Akil Kadir at uh, Citizen Safety Academy. Um, and, uh, from there, it's just, that's when we started we was like, yo, let's build this club. Right. And so, uh, yeah. Here we are today. Yeah. And so I know, um, when we carrying guns, Mm -hmm. it's a little bit different legally, legally or illegally. Mm -hmm. Right. If we're carrying guns as black men, it's a little bit different to, um, our other community members of, of, of non-color. Yeah, um, sure. whether it's you know Latinx, whether mm-hmm. it's white, whether it's yellow, green, blue, it's a di- it's a difference for sure. Um, what has been your experience as a black man and in just self defense in general? Mm-hmm. Um, some challenges, barriers, systemic or just by peers, colleagues, just people by community mm-hmm. um, that you've seen, faced encountered mm. um, because you're focusing on like self-defense in all type of ways yeah that's an interesting question um i think for me the first place my mind went to is like putting it in proper historical context because and what i mean by that is like black folks in general have a different relationship to the gun especially in this country than a lot of other folks mm-hmm. right um if we put it in a historical context the gun like for us, initially was used as a form of colonization, used to colonize us, right? And, and you know, played a crucial role in how we were brought over here to the American continent, right? Um, but then when you start going through history, it was also used as a tool of resistance, right? right. Um, so we're thinking about our ancestors, Nat Turner, Denmark Vasey, Gabriel Prosser, Stono Rebellion, you know, all those different, like, enslaved ancestors, who used the rifle or the pistol, or what have you, to uh, get up out them plantations, right? right. Um, go through the Civil War. Um, after that, you get a lot of uh, what we call rifle clubs, black rifle clubs. And, I mean, their purpose was for protecting the community, right? You know, post-Civil War, you know, that's the period from, like, 1865 going into the early 19th century where we've seen some of the most lynchings ever in this country. Right. And so, like, those clubs came out as a form of resistance to, you know, keeping folks safe, whether it was your grandmama that had the rifle, Winchester rifle, or uh, W.B. Du Bois um, sitting on top of Graves Hall with the shotgun, you know, because of the race riots and stuff like that. That was a part of that history. Um Add on to that, you know, a lot of our folks went into the military. Um, and as they, you progress into the 50s, 60s, stuff like that, that's when you start getting um, people like Deacons for Defense. Well, and that's the part you don't hear in our history, right? Like, right. while you had the folks protesting out there um, um, uh, nonviolently, you had the Deacons of Defense who had the strap on them, making sure there wasn't nothing happening to those protesters. Um, then, of course, 
because of them, they were uh, they were uh, part of an inspiration for the Black Panther Party. Right. Right. And so you move, and I think the key part, and this leads to my direct answer to your question, like the key part is um, what you get following the Panthers, like the follow the Panthers. Because of the 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 scare that the Panthers had created with, you know, creating, you know, community-based systems, defending our own communities, whether it had been from police or from vigilantes or even uh, gang members within a community, you you had this effort to 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 criminalize black folks, especially black men, but black folks and the gun. Okay. So you start to see this push following them to and keep in mind you also got crack era, right. you got mass incarceration, things like that. You start to see this this association away from protecting the community, uh, more revolutionary point of view, to something that's like associated with criminality or right. or or a danger to society. So then you start, this is when you start seeing black folks who come from a generation where, you know, the rifle or the shotgun was normal to, okay, you need to stay away from the gun, stuff like that. So this is where you start to see a lot of uh, us really jumping behind, like just stay away from the gun, don't touch it. Instead of like being taking a more critical role and looking right. at it for self-defense. And so like, you, you kind of get the presence of those black gun cups kind of waning a little bit because of that cultural shift. Right. Right. And so then, you know, this is where you start to really, uh, really see the modern version of what we associate with like black men and guns. Right. Right. So, you, so, you know, there, the conversation about self-defense, you might see them here and there. Right. But they kind of, they, they kind of disappeared. Now I will say this, Following, um, particularly the Trump uh, administration and stuff like that, there has been an increase in black gun ownership, particularly with black women. Um, and so now you're starting to see that tradition reemerge, whether right. it's the Middle Tennessee Black Gun Club, right. uh, you know, NAGA, um, or, or, or like some of the other black gun clubs. And you're starting to see that conversation and that history come back up. So, I mean, all that to say, like, it's complicated. Um, especially when you're talking about the laws, um, not only what they actually say, but how to think about it as a black man um, or as black folks carrying. Um, and like, yeah, I would say, too, one of the struggles that I really face a lot is misinformation um, in these spaces, um, whether it's coming from the like uh, post like the post Panther era where the thing was like gun control, gun control, stay away from guns. Right. Or, or it's uh, uh, coming from this perspective of, well, we shouldn't have guns no way because X, right. Y, and Z. You know what I mean? Right. So, so no, man, I, I, I'm glad that you gave us that history lesson mm -hmm. because I think like it's always important to know where we where we come from, right? And, like and how we ended up where we are. Yeah. Um. So no, nah, like I, I learned a lot. And I, you, you recommended a few books to me in general that mm -hmm. I'm still on. Um about just carrying and guns and just like like older gun clubs and things like that. And so uh, I got to bring this up, man. I got to bring this up because I think it's important. Okay. Um, I'm going to preface it this way. Mm -hmm. um, unfortunately, we can't carry and brand weapons, even if we have them legally, the same way. It's a different. It's a different type of threat, right, to society than if you know a white man. Let's just say a white man was caring, right? Mm -hmm. 
um, because we, I think because we internalized white men with police mm-hmm. and them having a gun, so we automatically, maybe it just accepted that it's okay. Right. And I preference that with this. And I, the question is, how should we, how can we safely navigate caring? Or does mm-hmm. that even exist? And the reason I ask that question is because I had to look this up. Uh, the Not Fucking Around Coalition. Whew. Right, and so me and me and me and my like my best friend, my cousin, mm-hmm. we had a we had like a little debate, mm-hmm. um, and and the debate was they came out it came out I when um Breonna Taylor I mm-hmm. believe had got killed got mm-hmm. murdered right wrongfully, um got murdered um, by police and they came and they they had a hell of a type of like like visual. Yep. You know, strapped up, all black, the not fucking around coalition, mm-hmm. right? His name in itself. And we was me and him was talking about it, and I said, I I like the energy. Mm-hmm. I, I like the just the togetherness, mm-hmm. especially when you got black men. And so it, and it looked cool. Just you yeah, got right, black right, men, right, it's gonna right. look cool. <laughs> However, I said, ah, if you if if you're not gonna do something. Like, if you're not going to, like, some action other than just walking and marching, I think they might just put a, a target on their back, an unnecessary target on their back mm-hmm. because they're black. Mm-hmm. That's the only reason. Because mm-hmm. we see the Proud Boys and all these other folks. Right. Like, we see them doing going reckless and there's no issue. Yeah. But because we're black, uh, I said, ah, because they were black, ah, they might. It, was, it looked good. And mm-hmm. maybe it gave people a sense of like, maybe I, I need to, you know, get my gun permit or learn mm-hmm. how to carry. But I said, ah, I don't think that's going to go too well because mm-hmm. of the historical things that you mentioned too with the Panthers and stuff and like right. the residual effects of that. And what ended up happening. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? It, yep. ended, it ended up happening. Yep. And so, yep. I, that's, and, that, and so, like, and that's my like analytical part in the mm-hmm. reality that we live in. Like, ah, it, it was great. It was a great moment. Yeah, but maybe they should have waited unless they was gonna come out there and really like you know what I'm saying protect like, somebody protect you know? somebody yeah, and yeah. like had intentions to really like yeah you know like test some shit up mm-hmm. um and so like like now all that momentum is is gone yeah um Grandmaster Jay I Jay yeah, yeah yeah like last time I heard like they had a GoFundMe for him to get him out the feds or something mm-hmm. like you know so it's like ah so. Uh, I know I was long winded with that, but no, 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 that, no, that was good. that was the preference. And like, yeah. is that smart to do as far as navigation? What is yeah. your take on that? And how can we be safe but also stay dangerous while carrying? Yeah. So so <laughs> yeah, that's a loaded question. So I think I think you you got a different you got a variety of different perspectives, right? Um, you got you got you got your folks who who really just want to be you know. We gonna be outside. We gonna be open with it. We want to change perceptions. We want to uh, show them that we can do it too. Type of thing. And that ain't this, that may not necessarily be uh, not fucking around. I I can't really speak to their intentions, right? But you have people that is gonna be outside and fully armored up, like you know, tactical Power Ranger type stuff. You know what I mean? And then you're gonna have people that are gonna be more like covert with it, right? Um, for me. Uh, well, we and, and my approach, like, is more so the first thing is like knowing the landscape. You know what I'm saying? So mm-hmm. I'm talking about uh, the laws, 
right? I'm talking about the basics around firearms because you'd be surprised like the majority of the country before we even get to black folks, the majority of country is more guns than people. Um, and on top of that, like training is like a very low priority in this country. So, I mean, across the board, before we even get into the dynamics, right. we are already behind the eight ball, right? Right. So I would say like, as far as like how we navigate, stay safe and stay dangerous. First thing, you got to know your laws, like the back of your hand. You know what I mean? Right. Like, so like if you in Tennessee, you need to know about permitless care, like what it actually says, which we can get into. Right. Yeah, no. Um, We can get into like, no, no, like. Uh, uh, like what the classifications of guns, you know what I mean? Like what type, I mean, and before you even start shooting, you need to know the uh, universal rules of firearm safety. And that's regardless of what you're doing. Um, and then for us understanding the history, right? So just like with anything else, a lot of this stuff is, is designed against black folks. You have to look at the gun control laws. Like, you know, why were those created in that way? Because I mean, one thing I can say, I know it's a it's a large political spectrum in the black 2A community, but gun control laws are very racist, right? Um, you know, when we talking about, um, like right now, like a lot of folks are talking about, no, we need to defund police, this, stuff, this, that, and the other. One of the ways that, one of the kind of like backdoor ways we got to think through is this issue with guns because when you think about gun control and how it's been used historically to suppress any type of black folks practicing their Second Amendment right, what that leads to is more policing. It's like, okay, you have this threat of black folks with guns. Okay, we need more gun control. Even though a lot of the, you know, uh, mass shooters have not been black, you know what I mean? Um, the impact or the enforcement of those laws are going to look very different. Right. You know what I'm saying? And so um, so I would say definitely learn, learning the laws, learning, like, uh, safety fundamentals, um, training. Like training, I cannot emphasize enough training, and you know that's part of why we, the Middle Tennessee Black Gun Club, uh, was created because we want to be a resource for our folks. You know, right. getting the right information, because there's a lot of misinformation that comes from media, movies. You know what I'm saying? Like uh, your favorite rapper, like you know, right. like all type of stuff. Like, and so getting that training, um, and for me, like I think. The, the low key thing is really where I'm on as far as like, you know, how should we go about doing that? You know what I'm saying? Like concealed for me is the way to go. It's like we already have that target on our back. Right. You know, and we then, already a weapon. That's what I'm saying. And so like and then when you and to keep it 100, like this country's memory is so long that the image of black people, black men, especially with a gun will always bring them back to uh, uh, memories of uh, uprisings on the plantations right. or, or any type of resistance. Even if that person ain't got that intent, it's the right. potential. Right. Right. And so with that in mind. It's implicit bias. Yeah. You got to be careful. You got to be careful. You got to be careful. And so for me, part of it is just really being like on top of your knowledge when it comes right. to that stuff. Right. So this is another it's not a loaded question, but it's a heavy question. Mm-hmm. Police shootings, mm. uh, especially of unarmed people, unarmed black men and women, mm-hmm. um, or just put, just just excessive force mm-hmm. by policing, right? And I've thought about this myself as a person that carries, right, right. Um, and I want to ask you. Mm-hmm. Um, what what can we do about 
excessive force from police from a self-defense standpoint. Mm. Oof. And um, how is there is there is there any laws mm-hmm. or any justification that I might be able to use as a person that's caring mm. that if I feel that the police is threatening my life, mm-hmm. taking me away from my family, mm-hmm. um, wrongfully, mm-hmm. is there ever a time I could use my firearm? Whew. That's one of the toughest questions that you you could uh, think about, right? Know? And, I, and I'm gonna be real. I I am. That is something I'm doing a lot of uh, thinking around and research around. Um, I would say this. Um, part of what we are trying to teach our folks at the club is doing things at like at that moment where you're being pulled over and you're armed to de-escalate. Because one of the things that we talk about in uh, the club and we'll, we'll, we will be doing in the, in the, uh, um, in the new year and, and things of that sort is we're really going to be teaching folks about the, the thing of de-escalation. Because the reality is police are human beings as right. well. Right. So um, what we, the key with that is, okay, what things can I do? Um, and let me, and I want to preface this too, right? We've been killed all kind of ways. Thanks. Follow orders, don't follow orders, all that. So I, I want to start with that, right? Like, so any where we come from, uh, the perspective and, and, and that we come from, you know, individually and, and as a club is, we want to survive the encounter. Right. You know what I mean? Right. So like, when surviving, it, it involves a large spectrum of things. Because immediately, you know, typically people think, okay, going from zero to a thousand, using the firearm. You know, sometimes surviving can really just be, okay, all right. Well, self-defense could be yeah, surviving. Self, yeah, self-defense could be surviving. So it's like, okay, cool, because you're trying to protect your life. So, okay, cool. Got pulled over. I know that I'm, I know that I'm armed. Now, now, depending on your state, there's different uh, variations on whether or not you have the right to notify them of that. It would behoove you, like, even in this state. Well, you're um, going to have to. So yeah, you're going to have to. Like, when you pull that license out, make sure that it's all, you know, that, that uh, permit, if you should, which you should have a permit, is also there as well, along with your registration. Um, part of the training, too, is maintaining your 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 heart rate levels because one of the things that contributes to the likelihood of something going left too is when you know that energy start escalating you know you already nervous because you black you being pulled over see them blue lights you see them blue lights you already know so it's like it's like part of it and then again we're going to be t- having trainings where we talk through things like this um is is keeping calm and it's like okay do i have my stuff with me you know Am I able to get it in a way that's not even perceived like it's going to be a threat, right? So you get that, you get that information, you put it in front of them. And then look, you, you follow, you follow the directions. You know what I mean? So nine times out of 10, um, you, you are going to find yourself when you follow like fundamentals of, okay, having my permit there, uh, having this. Um, notifying them where it is, keeping your hands on the wheels, you know what I mean, um, paying attention, um, doing exactly what he says and not doing anything else. Because 
oftentimes too, because our adrenaline is pumping, we also add other stuff to it. You know what I mean? Just, right. okay, he said do this, cool. He said do that, cool, right? Um, those things can increase your survivability. And I know that... <laughs> That uh, that dude that's going viral uses that term survivability, but um, oh yeah, 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 yeah. It it can it'll increase your likelihood of survival, right. and I say it like that instead of guaranteed because we know that you can do all the right yeah, things and still it. be in a situation, but like that's that's the, the yeah, that, it, that's it, the it, issue, right, 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 like, right. I can I can I can do right and follow orders and die. Or I could I could do wrong and potentially try to uh, prevent from dying and still mm-hmm. die. Mm-hmm. It that that's a tough question because all I'm gonna say is like it really, um, it really depends on the situation. And, and because you know um, when you talk to police officers, mm-hmm. you know they always you know they they they're humans, right? And they might right. have their you know the implicit biases about. The situation, the stereotypes, so they might already be mentally in the place. Mm-hmm. And my whole thing is like, well, I think it's justifiable for citizens, especially black ones, to already be mentally in a place too, because of the like the just the the visual traumatic like uh, stress um, that we have just from seeing the encounters of when black folks and police are engaged. Exactly. And so. Um, it's just something, man. I like. I get nervous when yeah. I like. And police, police lights hit me. Uh, it ain't got to be for me. They just come on and going around. I, my heart, my heart jumps, skip a beat, and I'm like, damn. And 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 that's reasonable, man. Like I mean, like again, when we think again, putting it in right. historical context, we know that the police institutions in this country come like derived from slave patrols from the plantation, and you know. If we understand like a lot of the practices, even when you have a black police officer, those practices are often rooted in anti-blackness and trying to control black communities. Right. So it's just like, you know, to not to if you don't have that reservation from jump, you right. something's something's right. off. So like, right. I, I don't even want to like even pretend to paint a picture like, right. oh yeah, you know these biases are are. Are like on the same level? No, they're not. You know right. what I mean? Like, right. like I mean, we again, you, you like given our history, given right. our leaders, right. and them being assassinated in so many ways by the state and stuff like that. You got every reason to be concerned, you know. And so I'm gonna I'm gonna throw something else at you, okay? Denzel, throw something else at you. Now we talk about navigation and talking about survival. Mm-hmm. Um, and I mean this in the most respectful way possible. Yeah, yeah, for sure. But when you see any any person, but mm-hmm. we're gonna stick because we black men, right? We're gonna stick with the with the black community, black culture. Mm-hmm. Understanding what we know right. about what they already think about is what has happened to our other brothers and sisters that have been, you know, um, just sl- slain by police. Mm-hmm. Um, when you see a person that is just driving in a video or something. And they might just be getting a ticket, right? Mm. They might just that's all. Yeah, that's yeah, all. Yeah, yeah, they yeah, were yeah. speeding. They yeah, was yeah. wrong, right? They was wrong. They were speeding. Mm-hmm. They were speeding, right? And they escalate the situation because probably one of what they've already seen and already have a bad, you know, uh, psyche about police. Mm-hmm. Maybe they didn't feel like they did anything. They they wasn't speeding, mm-hmm. and this makes them get belligerent. Now, from that situation. <laughs> Started off, I was going to give you a ticket. 
you don't want to accept a ticket, you want to get belligerent, you want to cuss me out, you want to get crazy. Now the police has escalated the situation. Mm-hmm. He hasn't got any information from you, or she hasn't got any information from you, don't know who you are. She, he or she just knows that you didn't took it to another level, mm-hmm. which can lead to death. Right. You right. getting pulled out, whatever. It can it can lead to a George Floyd. It can lead to anything. Mm-hmm. Who is at fault mm-hmm. in a situation like that? So I, I and I preface it respectfully because yeah, yeah, yeah knowing what yeah, we know, knowing right. that we gotta that we gotta navigate. In my mind, I'm thinking like, fam. Yeah, yeah. So, so I, I I I would look at it less from a, and maybe not a, not not at fault. Maybe it's not yeah, the best yeah, word. Yeah. Maybe I, not at fault, but like I think I think I would look at it from from a, uh, a strategic perspective, right? Like yeah, like and that's really not even sugarcoating. That's really right. what it is. Because right. again, like just like in our previous con- uh, like conversation, like the 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 conditions, the larger conditions and systems. That lead to that that fear from right. that black person being right. pulled over right. is understandable. It's rightfully so. Right, right, right. Yeah. I think I think to me the reason why I say it's unstrategic is because again this is why this is why we exist to 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 teach folks how to survive. Right. 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 Um, it it for me it's it's really um this speaks to the absence of training. Right. Okay. Um, because. Mm. Despite, um, and I, I'm not even necessarily just talking about police situation, but just in general, where you have gun-related issues, a lot of them can be prevented, but with proper training. I'm not even talking about high-level training. I'm talking about basic understanding of like staying calm, situational awareness. You know what I mean? So, like, I think with, with in, in situations like that, like, I think it would it it could only benefit like if a person like black folks like learn okay how do i control myself right. and not from a perspective of i'm wrong for feeling this way just right, again right. like totally understandable but, right. but how can i maintain my awareness and all my senses so i know what's going on is this police officer turning up or are they are they chill are they just asking for a ticket okay is a ticket really worth turning up for and potentially dying or do I need to like okay take the ticket fight it in court you know what I'm saying and again this goes right. back to knowing the laws right because again you might be able to okay you took the L you got the ticket whatever but there may be some infraction or something to where that didn't apply to you or you right. can get it you can get it waved off driving school whatever it may be yeah and for me it's really a perspective of making it home right you know what right. I mean like like that's not to say, and, and I really want to be clear, this is not to excuse any of the like corrupt things that police officers have done to black folks when pulled over, anything like that. But the key is making it home or surviving right. the encounter. You know, and so that's and that's and that's more from a survival standpoint than from a moral standpoint. Because morally, you know, then we already know how the system is. We right. know we know what the right. deal is. But like from a strategic standpoint, it's like, okay, how do I make sure I make it home to my family? Okay, do these things and this will increase their likelihood right. tenfold. Increase. That's a yeah. And that's why I always like to use the word navigate. Like, yeah. How do we navigate these situations? Mm-hmm. Um in or, or survive these situations because you just never know. Mm-hmm. Um and you brought up something that I didn't really think about, which 
we all need to go through like in practice like consistently because you know we, we you know what i'm saying we we it can happen at any moment right but that training of like just like going through you know simulations and just like practicals of like if you're getting pulled over what are some of the things that police officers are going to ask you for whatever infraction it may be whatever right. driving infraction it may be how can I respond? Whether I'm right or wrong, right? Because right. I, and I said to myself right. a long time ago, I don't care if I'm going, if I'm going, if I know I'm going thirty in a uh, in a in a forty, mm-hmm. and he say, well, you going forty five, cool. He got my information, right. cool, whatever. And that's why I always recommend people get get dash cams, mm-hmm. inside and outside. I would encourage. I would encourage. Matter of fact, I I, I recently purchased one myself. Like that. Yeah. That is yeah, that is no, a good thing get, to get, have. Get dash cams inside and outside. And this would be for anybody. But get dash cams inside and outside. And one would have GPS and also the mouse for hours. Exactly. Because that way, if you can dispute it, you can have like, hey, this video is evidence. video evidence is how fast I was going mm-hmm. when they clocked me. You know, hey, I, I you know, and and see what happens. Right. Um, right. But yeah, man, I always just personally, I struggle with that because. You know, I, I don't want I don't want to die, right? Right. And, right. and and it's unfortunately that we don't have a system in place that that takes into account our trauma, mm-hmm. our fear, and how we're looking at the situation, mm-hmm. right? Well, I feel like he he or she was escalating it and seeing what happens when police escalate against black folks. I want to make it home, so I rather exactly. I rather be at this particular moment instead of be dead and not being able to explain myself and explain the situation mm-hmm. and letting y'all do it, mm-hmm. you know, and letting um uh, implied immunity take place, mm-hmm. uh, which protects police officers from yeah. being convicted, right? Um, so it just man, I. I don't know, man. Yeah, I mean, and, and that's, that's where the, that's where you know, uh, and, and it's levels like, and that's when you get into the policy battles, like fighting for the end of qualified immunity. Qualified you know, immunity. I, you know, I said implied immunity, in qualified immunity. That's what yeah, it is. yeah, 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 yeah. And like, I mean, that's when you start thinking around policy level battles, like like defunding these police right. departments and actually allocating it to stuff that would be that would address, better address like issues that that are uh, that are thrown to the police, like um, and just like. And also, too, as it relates to, like, everyday um, life, just, like, training folks on knowing how to navigate tense situations, you know what I mean? Because that can apply within this context with police and outside of that, too. Because, I mean, um, we deal with stuff every day, and it may not always jump to, like, you know, hands or guns, but, like, you know, having that sense of control will, will, again, increase the likelihood in situations like that where you can actually make it to the court to be like, you know what? Like, right. you go my dash cam, da-da-da, that didn't work. Because right. then when you start getting that, uh, when you start getting more of us who do that training and are able to survive that encounter and go through that process and have the know-how, then what you do is you overload the system because the system wasn't designed for us in mass to be able to navigate the world right. like that. And right. so then you, you're calling for some fundamental shifts, right. you know, closer to a system that you're talking about, right? right. Um, but, yeah, man, that's why that training is so critical. Yeah. Man, um, I want to get in some of these laws, man, to mm-hmm. see. Yeah. Um, as we both know, they have done away with um well in Tennessee anyway you can have a permitless carry. Mm-hmm. I got my permit as soon as I turned twenty one. Mm-hmm. Still have it because of reciprocity. Right. That right. you can you know carry in other states that you know that your reciprocity carries over with your with your uh, with your permit. Mm-hmm. Um, talk a little bit about what that permitless carry means. Mm-hmm. 
um, maybe some confusion. Yeah. Um, or maybe people just don't know that it exists. Mm-hmm. And I know it started first. Their first law was like, oh, you can carry your weapon in your car. Mm-hmm. Without any permit, because at first you can have it in your home, but even to have it in your car, you had to have a permit. Then they did away with that, um, and now just you know, kind of full, full fledged. So, so I'm a, I'm a, I'm gonna break this down from a a, a, a myth busting perspective, right? Now nah, go ahead. So, so let me start off with um, uh, the permit, because the permit system is actually not that old in Tennessee. Like it goes back to like. I don't know if it's 96 exactly, but in the 90s is when it was first implemented. Because prior to, like in Tennessee, you had to go through your local sheriff in order to get a permit, this, that, and the other. And then in somewhat, sometime in the 90s, we uh, switched to this permit system that we know of now. With In terms of the permitless carry, I'm going to start there, and then I'm going I'm to work and expand from there. So with the permitless carry, like there's a lot of myths going around that, oh, you ain't got to have your permit. What the actual law says, okay, one, if you are in an area that you are um, that you are lawfully allowed to carry um, and you qualify, essentially qualify to have a permit. So 21 years of age, you know, uh, or 18 years if you're discharged from the military, um, you know, no, nothing on your record. Um, um, no felonies, no felonies, um, no felonies, things like that. Um, if you if you would qualify for a permit, then within the exception of like public uh, places, like public places, all the places you can't carry anyway, like banks, right, like government buildings, you yeah. you would be allowed to carry your handgun. Don't apply to rifles. Don't apply to shotguns. And by the way, when we talk about handguns. They specifically define handgun as barrel less than twelve inches. Mm. So, like, if your if for some reason your handgun is, is longer than twelve yeah. in, uh, twelve inches, the barrel it doesn't qualify even under this permitless carry law. Then, but if you have a, 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 a handgun uh, open or concealed uh, with barrel less than twelve inches, if you would uh, if you qualify for a permit, if you were to get it, um, and you're and you're in a lawfully uh, you're in a, a, a area where you can legally carry, then you would not have to have a permit on you. Here's the issue with that permit law. And there's a lot of back and forth, even in the gun community around it. A lot of people are saying um, that it's not true constitutional carry. And for those who don't understand, like, okay, what is constitutional carry? What is permitless carry? Constitutional carry is the unrestricted ability to carry open or concealed um, in, in most areas. Right. Um, whether we're talking handgun, typically it's talking about a handgun, but in the purest sense, it can include rifle and shotgun um, with this permitless carry law. It's kind of like a, it's more of like it didn't get rid of the permit system because you can still go get your permit and it's still in place. But it kind of uh, what it did was it's more of like an exception law It's like, OK, this permit still system still in place, but. If you qualify for a permit, you're legally carrying um, and you're not in the restricted areas, um, which can include like schools, certain, uh, you know, publicly owned places, things like that. Um, then you will qualify for a permit. Here's the other part that was not blasted in the um, in the, uh, the 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 news stories about the permanent carry, the unlawful position um, and, and gun theft have uh, been upgraded to felonies. 
think class E, but I'm going to say felonies. They they have definitively upgraded to felonies, and we're actually going to post the actual language on on the club page, too, um, very soon. But that's been upgraded to felonies. Those have been upgraded to felonies. Those were once, I believe, misdemeanors, but they've been upgraded to that. That is concerning for us, especially as black folks, because, one, there's a lot of misinformation around what you can and can do with a, a firearm, let alone whether or not you have your permit. Right. Two, when we're talking about, and because people don't know exactly how you should carry, you have also this possibility that people un- uh, uh, unlawfully possession, uh, possession, uh, possessing a firearm, which could lead to not a, not a misdemeanor, but now a felony. So, I mean... Somebody don't know what they're doing, got their farm, they may not have a permit or they may not be allowed to have a permit. Next thing you know, okay, you got unlawful possession. Now, that's a felony. Right. So now that's 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 diminished your ability, your Second Amendment ability based on how things are set up. So just overall, and we'll, and we'll have this information. That's part of us. What we do is really trying to educate our people. Um, that permitless uh, carry law is, is not just... Wild Wild West. Right. It only applies to handguns with barrels less than twelve inches. Um, you have to qualify for a permit um, in order to carry without uh, out one in certain areas. Right. Um, and yeah, yeah, man. And then those those uh, infractions have gone up to a felony. So one of the things that we say, get your permit anyway. One, uh, Tennessee. Even if we talk, uh, even if okay, Tennessee is is permitless carry, quote unquote. You still got to go to other states. Right. They have their own laws. Right. So reciprocity laws, like you mentioned earlier, right. are important. You want to get that permit. Two, you also want to have uh, a, a, that as just another ID. Right. You know what I mean? Because having more than one ID is, is important just from a strategic perspective. Um, and then also, too, like, again, you want to you wanna have as much working in your favor as a black person who is armed as possible. Right. You know, so getting your permit, going through classes, you know what I mean? Like joining a club like uh, right. like ours and stuff so you can have the proper information. Right. So that legally you're on point and right. also too, like from a survival perspective, you're on point. Because it's less about, oh, well, you know, we should follow this because this is right. It's more like this is the law. If you right. don't want the state coming down on you, you need right. to abide by these things in order to navigate, stay safe, and stay dangerous at the same time. Man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Hey, hey, you, you just, I, man. I don't know. I don't know what else people want to like with this. <laughs> I mean, yeah. This is, this is it. 